are uh, uh, we are done with our shoot. Mm. So I will uh, fill everybody in as our little movie comes together. Hopefully in a really really great way. Yes. I will. Uh, I will have hopefully news on that in the future. My hope is that we can. Uh, we can get some real traction at festivals out of this little thing. Very yeah. happy with how the how this last hectic week went, but uh, it was all good. Very proud of my wife too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good uh, work, and and proud of my, my buddy Brand for uh, for writing and directing such a good job. Anyway, uh, so that will uh, will let's just dive right into it. You know why this week is special? Here's why this week is special because uh, we are on the verge of Avengers Endgame becoming the uh, highest grossing film globally of all time. It's still second place domestically uh, and second place internationally but it's close to getting past Avatar and it will in a in a short uh, moment but you know what it needed a good lead-in and that lead-in came from Captain Marvel mm. and Captain Marvel is now out and it's on 4k Tim yeah I, look this is a movie that I absolutely adore I adore this movie some people were critical of this movie but I gotta tell you the o- 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 audiences loved it too because it's actually yeah. it did, did well out there in the world really well all kinds of criticism about breathe this and breathe that and she was kind of but you know what she's fantastic this is why right. I love Captain Marvel though Captain Marvel is a square-jawed badass, <laughs> and she's a girl. Mm-hmm. It is clear in the context of both of these last two movies, this one and Endgame, yeah. that the strongest and most powerful, I was going to say human, but, yeah. but person uh, in the universe yeah. is Captain Marvel. It's the girl. Yeah. And this movie knows that. This is a girl power movie straight up. Now, there's yeah. a whole storyline here. We won't get into all the ties into the end game. And all, that, yeah. all, the, all the captains, all that crap is in this movie. We don't care about any of that crap. What I care about in this movie <laughs> is this badass girl and her badass girlfriend and yeah. her badass girlfriend's daughter yeah. roaming around this movie just kicking man booty just everywhere, yeah. every place they go. She plays this with a certain little like uh, a, a yeah. curl in her in her lip there, a little yeah. snarl, yeah. and I love that. A I twinkle in her eye, I love all of that. There's a sequence in these movies that I adore. I'm going to let you describe the yeah. sequence because it, it, it brings me to tears. It does me too because I'm the daddy of a daughter. It is uh, it is the ultimate girl power sequence because it uh, and hopefully you've seen it. We're not giving anything away. If yeah. it is, fast forward 15 seconds. But where uh, it is it is every moment in her life when she has ever been down and out, and it's all cut together, and it is picking it up dusting yourself off and getting ready to just lay into it one more time. Never let them keep you down. Always stand up again. And it's just so beautiful it's, the way they do it. We see her we see with her, she off the bike and the go-kart. Yeah. She goes, and she gets and she gets hurt. In baseball, baseball, you know. Baseball, she gets, you know, yeah. She's hurt and bleeding with the skin leg and all yeah. kinds of and then they they do this bright thing. They wait yeah. a long time. And you get to the back of this movie, and we see the back end of every yeah. one of those moments in her yeah. life. When she fell off this, when yeah. she hit that. When That's she, it. We see her get up with that little smile, mm-hmm. grab that baseball bat, and go do it again. And I lo- that's just the theme for life as far yeah. as I'm concerned. And that they wrap it all into this little girl. And then they take that little girl and they make that little girl the strongest being in yep. the universe. That's just wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful great. in every possible way. It is, now there's a there's a a kind of a refugee themed story that isn't is, that that doesn't pull its weight entirely, but that's okay. It doesn't need to because here's what I think sets this film apart from all the other from all the other superhero films, Marvel or otherwise. Almost every single one of the every single one to a one begins by telling you the origin 
how Krypton exploded and Superman came here as a kid, how Batman's parents were shot and he, you know, blah, mm. blah, blah, how uh, Peter Parker got bit by the spider, how Tony Stark went into the cave and, uh, you know, on and on and on. Every single one of them. Uh, well, how Wonder Woman found her way off the island and, and then became blah, blah. They, it's, all, it's always the same. That's not what this is about. When it starts, she is already who she is. Mm -hmm. She's a fully self-actualized woman. Fully self-actualized woman. Badass Air Force it. fighter pilot. It's not the story of how she became who she is. It's the story of her finding out who she was. Mm -hmm. And that is so interesting. Yeah. And then she has, to, she has to wrap that into, into a personality she always has. Who I was yep. is going to have to work for who I am now. Yep, that's this, it. Another little neat thing going on in this movie, it plays on our expectations about um, what things look like. You're watching this movie, yeah. and there's these bad guys. These bad guys, at least, you know, you're bad, and they look a yeah. certain way, yeah. and you must be the bad guys. And good guys, and good guys, they must look a certain way. And, and, and this movie messes with that expectation, mm -hmm. and, it, and it pokes you for that. And I like that about this movie, too. It's a very short movie. Um, that I thought was just well done all the way around. This, Sensational this, 4K, too. Oh, this 4K and, and tons of bonus material. Literally, it says on the box, tons of bonus material. <laughs> uh, right there, 4K and the Blu-ray. Deleted scenes, gag reel. Just all kinds of stuff. More stuff you can think about. Audio commentaries and much, much more. So, you know, if you... if you, I would say that if you're taking a leap for the first time into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. and you're like, do I want to watch all of these movies? What are there, like 22 of these movies, uh, if you start yeah, counting with Iron Man? 22 of them, yeah. And you're like, I'm not watching 22 movies. Where, no. where do I start? I'm like, start here. Yeah, start, start with Captain Marvel and then watch Endgame. You will see, hear, speak to... Uh, because chronologically, single... that takes place before the others. Before the others, anyway. With the exception of Captain America. Because this is set in the 80s, right? Yeah. Some, some Captain America set yeah. in, the, in the 40s it, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, but this takes place in the 80s. But start here, and yeah. you'll get all of these people. And then, if you're if you're intrigued after you watch this, and perhaps in game, yeah. go back and start with Iron Man, and work your way forward. But through. you can you can skip Iron Man too. <laughs> you can skip Iron Man too. Yeah, yeah. that didn't work at all. <laughs> uh, Norm of the North, a king sized adventure. Mm. Uh, these uh, these these Norm films. I don't know how do, how do, do, how does your baby. Res respond to the norm. Not at all. Not at all. Not, her not at all. She's Zero. princesses. She's all about princesses. That's it. Uh, Just Disney princesses. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't yeah. even want to go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Really? No, doesn't want. To. Do you know that? Te technically, there's a princess in that movie. Uh, now hold on. Let me just let me just back. Did you? Know, which is open now. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which they spent a billion dollars on. They've mm -hmm. spent a billion dollars on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and I'm thinking, okay, great. I'm dying to see what what rides they've got. You realize that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge has a sum total of one yeah. new ride. Yeah, it's, it's one ride. Yeah, it's, it's it's a whole interactive thing. They say the kids, they say the new kids don't like to get in the little cart and just ride around and look at stuff. They want to go poke stuff and hit stuff. So that's why they only did the one ride. That's what they say. I don't know. You tell me. I mean, I haven't been yet, but I'm thinking one ride. Well, all I want to do, or all I, what else is there to do but ride? Mm. So, but I guess there's places where you go and people talk to you, and there are things and this and that, and you have conversations with the characters, and you go to the cantina, and they tell and they warn you, like it becomes it becomes a role playing thing. Yeah, exactly, it, it, exactly. It, it, yeah. And, and I'm not into. That, I'm not into so. that either. I, I used to, I went up to Universal. Yeah. Uh, when they had like the backdraft thing, and, yeah. and they just put you on a cart. People have done this before, and you just roam through the thing. You had no interactiveness at all. Uh, and there you are. Yeah. There's King Kong, and here comes the, the Waterworld exhibit, and you see the stuff. Yeah. It all happened around you. Yeah. But apparently the new kids don't yeah. like that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, not much happening on this uh, Norm of the North a DVD. So if you like the version, you like that one, whatever. Uh, 
Anthony Hopkins uh, and Julianne Moore and Hannibal. Man, oh man, oh man. 4K now. It's, it's in 4K. I think we talked about it a, 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 a couple a, weeks a, ago. We go DVD, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is 4K. Looks fantastic. It uh, doesn't make the movie any better is what the problem is. I mean, coming off Silence of the Lambs, this was mediocre by comparison. I, I read yeah. both of those books, and, and it was the same thing with the book. Really? Yeah, the same thing with the book. It was much bigger, broader, all that. Kind of, but but and, and you know, and I had the same. I had the same image in my head. This doesn't even have Jodie Foster. Got nothing mm. against Julianne Moore, but Jodie Foster simply imprinted that character yeah. for us, yeah. Scott Glenn, uh, and all that stuff. And this this seemed to be more of a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, than than uh, Silence of the Lambs, which was you know a crime movie. Yeah. You know, this was about you know getting to that scene at the end of the moment at the movie. Nevertheless, full of all kinds of special features, audio commentaries from Ridley Scott, the making of Anatomy of a Shootout, et cetera, et cetera, and a thirty three minute thirty three minutes of deleted and alternate scenes. That's interesting. Uh, with optional director commentary on the deleted scenes as well. Uh, so you know, I, I, I'm rather interested in that. Including an alternate ending, also with optional director's commentary. Um, uh, would be interested in seeing that. So Hannibal, uh, man, that's 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 when was what year did Hannibal come? Oh man, two thousand one, dude. Yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, I remember seeing Silence of the Lamb. Bridget was in St. Louis. Yeah, she went to the screen, did the junket and everything. Silence of the Lamb. I think that's about ninety one, ninety two, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And I saw Silence of the Lambs, and I was so ridiculously giddy. Yeah, I just had to go home and tell. I, I, you know, I called every back then. You had to make an actual phone call, uh, and I woke her up at like three o'clock in the morning to tell her about Silence of the Lambs. Are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> you wake me up at three o'clock in the morning to tell me about some scary ass movie. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, babe. Uh, Jason Statham, Amy Smart, and Crank. I rather enjoyed Crank. I think they made another two or three Cranks, or at least one more Crank. Didn't care for the, those two. I just, I, I, I just don't get the whole Crank thing. It's, the, I get it. I mean, I understand what they're going for. I just, it's so not enjoyable to watch. Yeah, yeah. The, the first one I rather dug. Plus, plus, Amy Smart was in it. I was kind of nuts about her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the guy gets the car. Uh, don't look in the trunk. One of those kind of things. Yeah. And, and you know, it's Jason doing his thing. Um, uh, so, you know, what are you going to do? This does not have, this is 4K, two disc Blu-ray with a few f- special features, the shooting of Crank, stunts, uh, the stunts of Crank, pushing Crank, uh, Crank at Comic-Con, that kind of thing. Uh, so if you're into the series, uh, this is the one to have and probably the one that you would like the most. Uh, John Goodman, Vera Farminga in, in Captive State. Uh, very Didn't see this. How uh, is how was I? I heard mixed things about this. Well, and, and you you heard correctly. Um, uh, so you know what? Do you, so it's it's just, uh, this is an extraterrestrial invasion movie. Uh, it's been like ten years since these extraterrestrials uh, occupied planet Earth, sort of deceiving humanity into thinking that they came in peace. We come in peace. It was one of those uh, kind yeah, of things. Okay. They did not come in peace. <laughs> they did yeah. not come in peace at all. Uh, and this is all about how that goes after that. And bonus features include a uh, featurette. The building of the world. There is a good deal of interesting cinematography here and set pieces. Vera Formiga is actually pretty good in this movie. Vera happens to be in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which came out uh, two or three weeks ago. Mm. Kind of playing the same character, the same part uh, as she's playing here. Um, I, I, what do you think about that? Those those um, that that Warner Brothers uh, trilogy that starts with Godzilla, 2014, goes to Kong. Skull Island, because yeah. everybody has to have one now. This was theirs. We already saw the Universal yeah. world collapse. I they were going to do the monster movies. I, I don't think anybody else can pull it off. I don't. I don't see it working. I don't. I just don't see it working. I mean, I like uh, you know even Pacific Rim, which I loved. 
the Pacific Rim sequel, eh, can't really yeah, keep this, it going. You know, it's do it. yeah. to 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 make these quote unquote universes work the way that Marvel's works. You have to fall in love with the characters. It's not about the monsters. It's not about the creatures. It's not about. It's not even about the superhero ness. It's like the, it's the fact that we always point about Endgame. Every one, the best scenes in Endgame are scenes where there are two people talking to each other. Yep, not, not the fighting, not the big not, battles. It's not. not. The, uh, the best scenes in Endgames are when the, or when the movie's a drama. Yeah, and of course, Endgame. Uh, I know we talked about it already. The, the, the wonderful thing to watch for in Endgame is this: watch for the love stories. Mm-hmm. Every conceivable kind of love story that you could fathers and sons, sons and daughters, husbands and wives, yep. boyfriend and girlfriend. It's nothing but love stories. And everything that these characters are doing in Endgame, they're doing not really to save the world or the universe. The universe was destroyed in the other movie. That's right. They failed at that already. Yeah. What they're trying to do is to save the loves of That's their it. lives. One on one. Gotta save my baby. That's what I'm doing. Yep. And that's why that's such a wonderful movie. Brilliant, yeah, and it's going to get nominated for Best Picture, I think. Uh, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, All Black, right. Black so, Panther sort of cracked that nut a while ago. Yes, right? Where are we going? Let's see. Uh, we're done with all the new movies. Boy, that was that was quick. Uh, I'm going to hit some foreign right now. We have a we have a bunch of foreign that has piled up. I am going to start off with uh, a film that was Oscar nominated very deservedly this year. Never look away. Uh, Florian Henkel von Donnersmark's new film. He won previously for the uh, Lives of Others. Then made a really bad Johnny Depp movie. Then went back to Germany and spent several years putting together another three-hour movie. He makes long movies. He takes a long time to make them, but they are all really, really, really stinking great. Um, the Never Look Away is an old-fashioned, classic war melodrama. It is just beautifully put together. It blows by. It's three hours that it it feels like ninety minutes. It's a wonderful movie. And it is um, loosely based on uh, who is the uh, the German artist whose name I, I can't remember. Um, the uh, hold on, uh, hold on. There's a there's an actual German artist, Gerhard Richter. That's ah. it. So Gerhard Richter is the artist whose work this is loosely based on, but it's very loosely based. This is not Gerhard Richter's life. It's just sort of his artwork inspired the story. Um, but it's the story of a young German painter who, um, f- and, and his experience both from before World War II, during the war, and right into the communist East German aftermath of mm-hmm. the war over that entire period. His romance with uh, the love of his life, whose father was a Nazi physician and uh, and is a Nazi physician and winds up being a communist physician. And it's it's an extraordinary saga, and it's an absolutely wonderful movie, beautifully acted in every conceivable way. And uh, it's just, it, it's an almost perfect film. It's an old-fashioned film, though. It really, really feels like something from, you know, that would have happened and been made in the 1960s. Uh, Tom Schilling plays the lead part. Paula Beer, his love. Sebastian Koch plays his uh, his father-in-law. Um, it's a it's a terrific movie. Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, by the way, l- largest man making movies. And by large, I mean no, he's not as wide as Guillermo del Toro. Mm. He's large in that sense. But Florian Henkel von Donnersmark has to be like six six, mm. six seven or something. A big man. He's a big man. He's like the biggest German that I have seen this side of uh, of, of Nowitzki in the NBA. He is a big man. 
Uh, so he owns the room. In any case, this was uh, also nominated for an Academy Award for Cinematography, very deservedly, too. So, wonderful movie. It's on Blu-ray from uh, Sony Pictures Classics, and uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Another great foreign language film, Return of the Hero. This is from Distrib Films. It's not on Blu-ray. It needs to be on Blu-ray. I urge Distrib Films to send this to us on Blu-ray. This, I wish this would have gotten a theatrical release here, too. It is so unbelievably funny. Um, anybody who knows this show knows I adore Jean Dujardin. He mm. is, he's just, he's genius. Whether, whether it's the artist, whether it's playing OSS the 117. OSS moves, yeah. He plays a similar character here. This is a wonderful classic French farce. And it is so great. And it has Melanie Laurent in it as well, uh, who is not only a great actress, but a great director. And so here's the premise. This is the, during the Napoleonic era. It's uh, 1809. And Jean Dujardin is going to is is engaged to the it, it's almost it's almost a Jane uh, a a um, um, uh, a uh, oh, uh, detective the, the, no 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 the uh, the uh, the great Jane, oh, Jane Austen. Austen Jane Austen yeah it's almost a Jane Austen scenario too it's like Jane Austen crossed with Moliere <laughs> so here's the thing it's 1809 Jean Dujardin is a is a great uh, military man in Napoleon's army and he's going off. To war, he's going off, and he's going to come back a hero, right? And so he's going to write. He's going to write to Melanie Laurent's little sister, to whom he's to whom he's engaged, and they're going to wait for him. And oh, it's going to be wonderful. And um, then he when he comes back, and and meanwhile, while he's gone, he doesn't write. Mm. He writes nothing. He's a complete cad. And so Melanie Laurent takes it upon herself because her sister is inconsolable. She starts writing phony letters on his behalf. For the sake of her sister, explain. Oh, I'm such a hero, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and the other thing, and so forth, and so on. Finally, he comes back, but he comes back as a deserter. He's a bum. He's a he's a loser. Wow. He's he's just a complete. He 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 ran away. He's a disgrace. But she says no. You are going to play the part, and you're not going to disappoint my sister. So he winds up doing a Cyrano de Bergerac type deal with himself. He now has to actually step into the heroic character that Melanie Laurent created for him, mm. and le- and he starts adding and embellishing and making up all this additional stuff. Right? Well, of course, as anybody with a brain knows, these two <laughs> these two go from hating each other in Taming of the Shrew style uh. to eventually, you know, falling in love. Right, but it is it is just two great actors and a wonderful premise, and it is so beautifully executed. And I had so much fun with this movie. I can't tell you how how fun this is. I love this movie. It is absolutely great. It's called Return of the Hero from the Strip Films. I can't say enough great stuff about it. All right, and then we've also got uh, some some really really wonderful uh, Kino releases here. Uh, Kino foreign language releases. One is The Nun by uh, Jacques Rivette. And the other is La Prisonnière, otherwise known as The Woman in Chains, uh, by Henri-Georges Clouseau, two of the greatest French directors of all time. Neither of these are their, uh, their very, very best films, but they're both really, really good films. Uh, they're both from the 60s. Uh, La Prisonnière is from 68, and The Nun is from 1965. And um, they are uh, just classic film French films of the era. The... Um, uh, La Prisonnière has a lot of really, really kind of uh, funky, psychedelic stuff in it, which is very, very much what uh, Clouseau was doing at the time. Um, it has, it, it's sort of like what he was doing in, uh, in, in Inferno or L'Enfer, 
that never happened. That was, you know, his his uh, his unfinished film. It's it's got a lot of stuff in it that he was trying to do, trying to master in the other film. So it's an interesting contrast here. Uh, it gets into some very very interesting kind of S and M type imagery and ideas and some very, very psychedelic visuals. But ultimately, it's really just a love triangle, uh, except with a really, really funky 60s veneer on it. But it's beautifully done. Has Kat Ellinger, the film historian, in a, with a commentary, and uh, that's all very good. The Nun is uh, it has a lot of very, very classic Rivette stuff in it. This was originally banned in France uh, because it's, a, it's very, very controversial uh, religious material. But um, Anna Karina, better known for all of her stuff with, uh, with Godard when she was married to Godard, mm. uh, it plays the, t- the title character um, who is um, basically like a horror film. She's like a – it's like Rosemary's <laughs> Baby except instead of you know, being pushed into a satanic cult, she's pushed into a, into a convent and uh, the life that, uh, that that entails. Um, Lisa Let Pulver plays a really terrifying mother superior – and um, I think this was banned for s- at least five or six years in France, and was ne- wasn't even seen over here until uh, until a number of years after that. So anyway, uh, it's a really really cool film, and it's got a great essay and an audio commentary by Nick Pinkerton, and uh, that's recommended as well. Let's see a few other uh, foreign languages. Oh, you know what? We got a proposal for the. Mm. The Retro Africa collection, oh, the Retro okay. Africa yeah. line from uh, Indiepix keeps finding really, really interesting films. Uh, they have added uh, another six to the Retro Africa collection, and uh, these are all still really, really great films. Definitely worth checking out. They, uh, you know, These films have a very hard time getting here because they're from countries that just don't have the connections to necessarily get their films sold internationally. So it's nice to get them. Uh, from South Africa, we have uh, Issy Boshua. I hope I'm not mutilating that. Issy um, This is uh, kind. Of, this is sort of uh, a. This is from 1989, so it predates the uh, the uh, Nollywood industry and comes from what they call Sollywood. I didn't even know South Africa had I didn't this, but they call it Sollywood, and uh, it's about um, it's about three guys, three young boys on a on a uh, on a a, um, a camping trip, and the unusual and difficult and challenging things that happen to them on the camping trip. Uh, and then f- also from South Africa from 1980 is Hostage, which is a, a blackmail story, and it deals with the, uh, the crime culture in South Africa in a very, very challenging way. It is um, – this is a um, – this copes with the apartheid level the, – the apartheid era in a, in a very aggressive, challenging way. Very, 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 very impressive film. Um, also from South Africa, 1985's Rich Girl – which is uh, a little bit like The Bodyguard done South Africa style. This is one of the weaker films of this. Um, this is uh, also an apartheid-era film, also very, very uh, well-acted and uh, worth checking out. Uh, Revenge from 1985, a Zulu-language film from South Africa, um, a period film. takes place in what you might call their, their Western period, and... Uh, it's a. Uh, I guess I could analogize it and maybe a little bit to Sounder. It's uh, ah. it, it, it's got elements of that. It's a. It's sort of a um, a fable uh, about uh, kindness and a mysterious stranger, and uh, it, it's sort of it's an interesting depiction of a period in South African history that is not often uh, not often depicted. 
Um, from 1984 are the last two of these, again, also from South Africa, uh, Charlie Steele and the Comedians, and uh, both of them very, very interesting. Uh, Charlie Steele is about a ra- is a ransom story about a guy who's kind of like a he's an, a, like a private investigator. He's a you know he's the guy that you call right mm. uh, if you want to uh, if you want you know he has a little bit of a history, but he's the guy that you want to call to get uh, get things fixed. And uh, but it's not exactly an action film. It's not exactly a suspense film. It's got a got a different angle to it. It winds up being more of a social commentary. And the comedians uh, is uh, not exactly a funny film. I wouldn't call this a comedy. This is no. also Zulu language, and um, it's it's about a, um, a, a maybe a low budget Lord of the Rings would be oh. a way to put it. Yeah. It's about a ring, the obsession with a ring, a certain man's obsession with the ring, and the people that he hires to try to uh, <coughs> retrieve yeah. the ring. So you might call him a South African golem in some respect, but it touches on many of the same themes, and uh, it's very, very good. And it has, uh, well, look, <laughs> look at, look at, it, look at the artwork. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's right. Uh, yeah. So it has kind of a comic book thing going, and I love quite the, literal is what. Yeah, it is. I like the uh, I like the tagline. Not all magic rings bring good fortune. It's mm. very, very cool. Almost so, none of them do, really. No, they don't. Almost do they? none of them. Never. Uh, and then let's see on the uh, foreign language front. I got a few others here, but let me just um, let me pull out a couple. Oh yeah, here we're gonna do this. We're gonna do these two. We're gonna actually. I'll do these three. I'll do these three. I'll push those others off to another week. Uh, the Captain is a Robert Schwenke film. Robert Schwenke, a very very talented filmmaker. Uh, one of the one of the best current German filmmakers. He made uh, the Captain. This has been released on Blu-ray by Music Box, and it is uh, it is a dazzling, dazzling looking film. It is a it is a spectacular uh, story that takes place at the very very end of World War II, and it, it centers around a um, a a German deserter, a deserter from the German army, uh, who is. Um, who winds up impersonating a German officer through circumstances that are really, really interesting and uh, is able to then begin to get people to listen to him and follow his commands. And that hence he becomes the captain of the title. And um, it, it takes you probably a bit of time watching this because we're so... Uh, conditioned to look at World War II films, especially those that deal with Nazism and the Holocaust, in a very, very dark light. It takes you probably about 15 to 20 minutes to be okay with laughing at mm. some stuff in this film because mm. you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. There is an absurdist strain to it, but it takes a minute to sort of um, acclimate to that. Um, just the same, it is uh, it is stunning black and white photography. It is a, it is an absolutely beautiful film. And, uh, you know, widescreen, it's just, it's really, really quite powerful. And, um... Uh, it has a number of extras. Robert Schwenke does a commentary. There are behind the, behind the scenes featurettes, interviews, even a storyboard to film comparison. It is uh, it's quite a movie. It's quite a movie. So that is the captain. And then the uh, last two that I have here. One is Memoir of War, French film, uh, which has Melanie Thierry in it, uh, and this is based on the life of Marguerite Duras. It is uh, directed by Emmanuel Finkel. And uh, Marguerite Duras's books have been made into many movies, including The Lover and a number mm-hmm. of others. 
And um, this is the first one that deals specifically with her as as a character, her wartime experience. And it is quite extraordinary. I had no idea that much of this actually happened, that her husband was arrested by the Gestapo and, and taken to Dachau. I mean, it's on and on and on. It's, uh, it's really quite extraordinary. And if you know her... Uh, her work, especially if you know Hiroshima Mon Amour, mm. you're going to start to see a lot of the origins of those things in this story, and it is actually a very, very good film. Uh, it, it played a number of festivals, including our Colcoa here locally, and uh, it's just absolutely wonderful. It's called Memoir of War. In French, it was La Douleur. And the last one here is Gaspar Noé's Climax. Yeah. Gaspar, who am I? I hate Gaspar Noé. Yeah, he's problematic. He's he's out of his mind. Uh, he's completely insane, and so is this movie. Argentine film, filmmaker Gaspar. Uh, uh, yeah, it makes his movies in France, but yeah, yes. Makes yes, his movies in France, yeah. yeah. Uh, so here's, here's the, the... Okay, here's the premise here. Look, <laughs> Gaspar Noé just hates audiences. He does. He makes uh, movies that, that attack you and assault you. Um, <coughs> I, I, what was the one of his that was set in Tokyo, that whole Neo-Tokyo? Enter the Void? Thing? Enter the Void, yeah. yeah. So I knew we, I, I knew he and I were not, were not copacetic uh, with that scene in Enter the Void when uh, I was treated sitting in the New Art Theater to a giant 50-foot widescreen image of uh, the point of view from inside a woman's cervix of a penis, <laughs> penis being thrust into my face. Now, I thought, you have got to be one deranged lunatic to actually think that this is in any way appropriate for anybody. <gasps> Nobody wants to see this. Uh, Why are you doing this to me? Actually, it's the most disturbing scene. Uh, it made a film called Irreversible. That yeah. opening scene. The rape is, scene. The rape scene. And it's irreversible horrible. As, uh, it's awful. It, 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 all of these moments are intentional on the part of Gaspar. Because he, he hates, he, you he know, hates he, people. In, in, in the, yeah, you, what Lars? He's in the, in the vein of Lars. Yeah, exactly. In the vein of uh, Julian. He wants to shock. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So here's what climax. Climax spends about a half an hour. Feels like a half an hour. Might might be twenty minutes. Whatever it is, it's too damn long. Uh, spends about twenty minutes with with dancers just giving you interviews, just mm. talking to the camera. And you think, is this a documentary? What the hell is this? I don't understand. There's people. There's dancers. They're talking and they're not dancing. And then you move to this abandoned warehouse where the dancers are rehearsing for some some kind of a postmodern avant-garde modern dance number, and it's all this real funky dance. You know, it's <laughs> it's like you and you're like, okay, well, I, I, I the dancing is kind of cool, but what, what's going on? I still don't see a movie here. And then here here we go. Now the dancing's over, and now it turns out somebody spiked the punch with LSD. Ah. So now everybody's had the punch. Everybody starts hallucinating. Everybody goes crazy, and now for the next, it's got to be a good 50, 55, 60 minutes, um, you have people who are literally torturing each other to death uh, in this place. It becomes just a torture chamber. There's no story. No. It's just it's just a mess. People yeah. running around screaming, d- having sex, taking their clothes off, murdering each other. It's just a horrible, dreadful film. Gaspar Noe, uh, a man should be condemned. Uh, I took out be... once. Nothing like that happened. Oh, Basically, I saw giant daisies. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much pretty much just the whole scene, man. Yeah. Uh, a little TV, yeah. Let's do TV. Uh, I'll knock off a little bit of the foreign television first. Sarah Stein from Berlin to Tel Aviv, complete series to complete series, which is uh, consists of four films, really on two DVDs. <clears throat> this film, so this is a um, uh, a fairly uh, a thrilling crime drama uh, about a young Jewish detective who works in Berlin. 
uh, solving cases, kind of a loner, yeah. uh, doing her thing, taking care of the crime. A a a Israeli DJ visiting from Tel Aviv is murdered. Okay. Uh, and she has to sort of uh, go into that, and it becomes very clear uh, off the top that something about his murder is de- definitely related to the fact that he's from Israel, that he's Jewish. Mm. She has to. It's the first time that she ever has to uh, bring her Jewishness with her and call upon it, and then her understanding of being a Jewish person and, and and able to solve a crime. She goes to Tel Aviv, and it gets really dark and and and, and serious and complicated. It's very interesting. Television show. I love this show, uh, and, and the way and the way that it looks. It's, it's relatically speaking monochromatic. Mostly, only the flesh tones are in color, and every now and again, maybe a scarf or something like that will be a muted sort of red or something like that. But it lives in these sort of like blues and greens. Um, uh, and it's just, it's just really sort of striking the watch. And the storyline is, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, extremely apropos as we look at the Jewish community today and we see that that Jewish community has been coming under attack, um, uh, for several years now, uh, underlying uh, all of that, uh, underlying the, the, that is the underlying theme, I should say, in what's going on in this Sarah Stein from, uh, Berlin to Tel Aviv, the complete series, uh, quite good. Uh, series three of Delicious, a scandal in every bite. Delicious. This is so wonderful, mostly because Don French is in it. The wonderful Don French, uh, from French Love and Saunders, Don French. And, Love uh, Don you know, French. a writer on Absolutely Fabulous. Uh, yeah. So anyway, she's fantastic on this. So. This is the story uh, of, of, of Don's character who's married to this guy who runs this fancy hotel called the, uh, called the Penrose Hotel. Uh, it's a very famous hotel, mostly famous because of the cooking, and the cooking is mostly her cooking. Nevertheless, her nice. husband gets all the credit for everything that's going on. He cheats on her, runs off with some, some younger gal. Uh, as is expected to happen in these things, when the younger gal gets the sense that her husband is cheating on her, obnoxiously she goes she goes to Don French's character Gina to talk to her about it. You know, you know what are the signs of when your husband and Don and I'm, I'm and I'm going to give this away now because it's not relevant to the series. And Don says, "Here's the sign. I'm the woman that your husband is cheating on you with, because nice. <laughs> you know what goes around comes around." This is the neat part. He dies. And we get into sort of like a uh, what was that series from from back in the '30s where the ghosts are watching the, the ghost and Mrs. Mirror or something like that? No, uh, uh, where the ghosts are watching the family as they sort of go along in their lives. It's oh, wonderful. Um, I can't yeah, remember I know, exactly. Uh, uh, you know the one I'm talking about. You talking about Topper? Topper. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Sort of, and we have a sort of Topper thing going on with the dead husband sort of watching his wife and his new wife or his ex-wife or his late wife, his widowed wife, and the, I guess they're both widows of him at this point, run this hotel that he built and run it better than he ever did. Uh, and it's really sort of very, very funny and very sweet. Behind the scenes, a featurette on this particular one from Series 3, Delicious. Kind of cool. Uh, from Acorn TV, an original series here uh, called Blood, the ties to Don. This is a this is a fairly this is a fairly neat little uh, a mini series. Uh, a young woman um, uh, has to go back to her hometown after her mother suddenly dies. She gets back to town. She meets where her father and, and her siblings are, and and all of the, the town folks that she so desperately wanted to get away from years ago. And uh, she 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 starts to get the details on what happened to her mother, and they don't add up. Uh, indeed, she starts to feel like her father, a doctor, might have had something to do with her mother's death. Now, this this owes to something traumatic uh, that happened between her father and her uh, when she was a much, much younger person that suggests he might be capable of something like that. It's really, really good. 
it's right in the tradition of something like Broad Church or The Killings or you know, right. all those things like that. So, you know, one of those just, just crunchy, crunchy dramas. Uh, bonus uh, material include cast and crew interviews and some in a behind-the-scenes uh, featurette, which is pretty neat. London Kills, again from Acorn Television, Series 1, London Kills. This is, again, another uh, gritty British drama from the folks who brought us Suspect yep. uh, and all of that. So this one... Uh, London's most elite uh, murder investigation team uh, uh, it, it solves all the big crimes. Uh, the leader of that team uh, takes a long leave as our series is beginning, and he's just coming back from that long leave. The long leave is based on the fact that his wife went missing uh, and has not been found yet. Uh -huh. Now, while he's been gone, uh, a young woman has sort of taken over the investigations, leading the team, and she does things very differently than him. And he is, of course, still somewhat obsessed uh, with the fact of his missing wife, a case that hasn't been solved. So here's the guy. Here's a guy who's supposed to be leading London's most top crime-solving team, yet he has not solved the crime, perhaps crime, of his own missing wife. Really, really interesting, subtle, layered thing you got going on right there. Um, uh, behind this is series one, behind the scenes featurette is what you got. The featurette is as long as two episodes of this show, so it's kind of neat to really fill you in on what's going on. Good, good British crime drama, just can't get enough of it as far as I'm concerned. Sweet, I like British crime, yeah, I do. I like Irish crime, but well, I don't like the crime, I like the crime, show. yeah, yeah, we, we better, better yeah, accent. No. You want to go with yeah. some of those for a while, yeah, let's uh, well, let's let's split the TV up and then uh, jump through some of uh, some of this other stuff, just kind of keep it interesting. Got a bunch from uh, Arrow, and they just keep coming up with great stuff. Um, Yakuza Law is a uh, is an obviously, obviously a Yakuza film. This is by uh, Teruo Ishii. Uh, one of the lesser-known um, filmmakers here, even though his films are well-known. He made Blind Woman's Curse, which has a has a certain profile. Um, and he made a lot of these kinds of films. He's a really good uh, action director, really good uh, genre director. And this takes place in the Edo period. It is... Um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially a... Um, how, how how best to put this? This is this is like the origins of the yakuza might be the best way to say this. It's uh it's like it splits the difference between a modern day yakuza film, which tend to be modern day organized crime films, and the samurai movie, which is its own separate uh separate uh, separate story. So this is uh this is like a yakuza samurai hybrid movie, and uh it, it gets into a very it, it touches on all of the very interesting um. Uh, the aspects of the of the samurai code find their way into the modern day yakuza. It's uh, it's actually interesting. It's one of the few films that really kind of gets into a lot of those uh, those overlaps, and uh, it has a great '60s vibe to it. It's got a real cool look. Uh, 1969 was when this was made. Yakuza Law, uh, a lot of extras on it, by the way. She Devils on Wheels also has tons and tons of extras. This is a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. It's uh, one of the few Herschel Gordon-Lewis movies from his post-Nudie Cutie period that is not a gore film. Uh, it, it, this is uh, 1968, 69, and um, it's not exactly a pleasant movie. It's a biker chick movie, but um, it's still fun, you know? Uh, it's weird, and it's a little bit campy, and uh, it's, got, it's got that whole 60s vibe to it. Uh, also has an audio commentary with Herschel Gordon-Lewis and Mike Vraney of Something Weird, uh, who was very kind to us when we made our uh, our, our documentary Schlock. 
and a whole bunch of other really, really cool extras on here, including Garage Punk Gore, which is a discussion of the uh, music and the movies of Herschel Gordon Lewis by Chris Alexander, who is a musician. The other two, Trapped Alive, uh, a movie I had never heard of before, but apparently uh, this has a real culty following. This is also from uh, the late 80s, 1988, and uh, it's about a couple of, you know, two friends who are on their way to a Christmas party, and they get carjacked by these guys who just recently escaped from prison, and uh, then uh, a bunch of even stupider things happen, and somehow they wind up in a mine shaft with a bunch of cannibals. And it makes no sense whatsoever. It's very weird. It's very silly. Uh, but uh, it has a following, so I'm going to go with it, and I'm going to say Trapped Alive for genre fans. Maybe your thing. This is the one that I really, really want to talk about. This is the best Arrow release we've had in a long time. The Andromeda Strain, Robert Wise's adaptation of the uh, the, the, the the book um, by Michael Crichton that really kind of put him on the on the map as a guy. You know, yeah. Andromeda Strain is what said, wow, this guy has a real dystopian view. And, of course, he continued to work that until the end of time all the way to Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that can go wrong when human beings misuse science. Uh, but The Andromeda Strain is a really, really interesting and still very timely film in terms of what it says about viruses and how we handle viruses. And every single time I hear about some new virus, every time there's an Ebola outbreak or there's a tick and a Lyme disease issue somewhere in a, or, a, or a you know spotted fever something or other or, or, or mad cow disease, I always think of The Andromeda Strain. Uh, Douglas Trumbull, who had just done uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, was responsible for the special effects and uh, does a remarkable job. This is uh, really, really a first-rate film. Robert Wise, of course, was trying to turn the corner and be, do something different from what had been done, from what he did in, uh, in both uh, Sound of Music and West Side Story. He was getting to be known, really, as like the musical guy. Wanted to do something different and uh, showed a more serious side of himself. Uh, there's a lot on here. There is a, there's a, a PDF of the original, on the BD-ROM portion of this, if you put it in your computer or you put it in a drive that your computer can read, you will see in the BD-ROM portion, a PDF of the original cine script with diagrams and production designs and all kinds of stuff. It's really super cool. And um, interviews here with all kinds of featurettes, uh, audio commentary by a, a film critic. It's, uh, it's just some wonderful, wonderful stuff. But it's a great transfer. It's a fantastic Blu-ray. The Andromeda Strain from Arrow on Blu-ray. Good, good, good. A few more over here. Yeah, do the uh, do the rewind collection. I love this. I love the '90s stuff. Uh, the, the, first of all, I, again, I think I did the junket for every <laughs> single one of these movies. I certainly reviewed them all. Uh, got a couple of uh, Jean Claude Van Dams here. First one uh, from 1991, I believe. Double Impact. Folks will remember this. You got two, two, two times to Jean Claude in one. This was a fun movie, and I, I, and I just remember the conceit of it being kind of neat. So you got you have these babies, uh, twin brothers who are who are uh, parted at birth when their parents are brutally killed. Years later, uh, they couldn't couldn't be one guy's a Beverly Hills sort of a, a fitness instructor, the other guy's just sort of grungy guy who's smuggling drugs or whatever. They're smuggling stolen items actually <laughs> is what it is on the street. They they get they, they sort of come together. Uh, they, bad guys after the uh, after the dark brother, and the the one thing that they have in common is that they bo- both can fight. They both can fight. Nice. So you have these wonderful scenes of Jean Claude fighting next to Jean Claude. You know what's neat? 
Neither one of the Gene Claudes can say a believable word of dialogue. <laughs> neither one, neither Chad nor his brother, can so, say believable dialogue. So uh, here's what I remember. Here's what I remember about uh, about that movie. Uh, I remember nothing about the movie, but I remember the junket. <laughs> yeah. And, and and here's what I remember about the junket. I remember at the I remember at the junket. I'm sitting there at the Westwood Marquee Hotel, which is something else now. I think you lived around the corner. Around the, the corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. In Westwood. And uh, so I'm sitting there with uh, Rod Lurie. Yeah, Rod. Yeah, and and he and I used to have this running thing because we had the same cassette recorder, exact same <laughs> model of Sony cassette recorder we used to record junkets. And I'm sitting there with Rod Lurie and like two or three other reporters, reviewers from other publications. I don't even remember. I remember one of them. She was she was young and she was blonde, mm-hmm. and you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And Van Dam, he you could like I could ask him a question. And he and he would do this to me. He'd like look at me, kind of give me a token look, and then he'd start leering at her. <laughs> and I'd keep talking, like, "My, uh, I, I might chop liver here. What's going on?" And 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 then he would say something like this. He'd go, "I'm sorry, but she's she's so beautiful. No? Is she not so beautiful? Is she not so beautiful?" Like he just starts starts hitting on. It was like a Me Too moment. Yeah, right there in the room. Oh, it was a Me Too moment. <laughs> and 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 you could tell she just starts blushing and she's completely put on the spot. Doesn't know how to react. He goes, "She's so beautiful. She's so beautiful." Mm. He kept saying that the whole time. And then afterwards, uh, uh, Rod Lurie and I were ju- were trying to sort of wash the ick, <laughs> ick, ick off of us, and we were standing on the sidewalk in front of the Westwood Marquee, and Rod, Rod, Rod says this to me, and he goes, and he, and he says, you know, these film critic organizations, and he, he hadn't yet been admitted to LAFCA. Uh-huh. Uh, he then was admitted to LAFCA and then left LAFCA before we got in. Mm-hmm. But he he said uh, he, he said these film you know somebody should start like a like a broadcast film critics group. Ah, and that was the birth. I uh, was standing there, which is now of course the uh, the Broadcast critics Award, critics choice Award, critics choice awards. I literally was the first person yeah. to hear Rod Lurie's idea before that emerged as a broadcast <laughs> film critics association. That's, that's, I, I was the first person. I would I would hear the idea. idea. I think Joey Berlin had. Uh, yeah, he and just, Joey founded. They, it together. they founded the broadcast. Yeah. Group? Was, uh, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he and Joey, I think they still play poker every weekend together. No, those so. guys, you know, a friend of Sherm's, you know, Rod. Oh, that, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah they, go, they go way back. Another John Claude Van Damme, uh, with of course the stunning and amazing actor Dennis Rodman, um, <laughs> who who were not making John Claude Van Damme movies, played a little basketball for the Detroit uh, Pistons. Pistons for a while there, and the, and, Lakers. The, and the Lakers. Although he was better when he was with yeah. Detroit. Uh, double team. This is the wackiest movie ever. Again, uh, reviewed this movie. Did the junk uh, Dennis Rodman. Um, you post. I think he was done with his career by then. This is oh, '97. Yeah. Oh yeah, Troy uh, Huck directed this. Yeah, and yeah. Brief, brief uh, step over, from over, Hong Kong. over from Hong Kong, right? And you know, uh, wacky action movie. Mickey Rourke also in the movie. Uh, Van Damme is a, a special special yeah. operations guy. Uh, Dennis was some sort of a drug dealer. So I remember one big badass fight scene mm-hmm. in that stadium. Yeah. And Dennis is doing like uh, you know the crane pose or yeah. something from uh, you know, whatever it is, and all, all kinds yeah. of fake. Fake yeah. <laughs> karate and yeah. kung fu because Dennis Rodman doesn't know karate wow. and kung fu, but nevertheless, uh, there it is. And the thing is, I guess the hook of this thing is Dennis Rodman six ten, I think he was. Yeah. And they they played on the that sort of thing of his, the yeah. length and, the, and the, in all the fight scenes. Other than that, this is a perfectly ludicrous film <laughs> uh, <laughs> that you don't really want to mess with. Also from the nineties, Paulie Shore. Paulie Shore had this run in the nineties in Sino Man and uh, this, that, and the other thing, and uh, and including one called Bio. Dome. I remember Biodome. But this particular one is called Jury Duty. 
Oh dear, I remember this. Uh, and, and you know, uh, and again, uh, knocked out the junkie. I, I I ran into Pauly Shore like uh, two or three times a month. Uh, this dumb Pauly Shore movies uh, over at the comedy store. And the, this particular one uh, is about this guy. He's on jury duty. It's a big, it's a big important case. I think it's like a capital murder case, case or something like that. He's a down and out loser, as Pauly always played down and out losers. So he tries to keep the jury hung. For as long as it can possibly be oh, hung, dear. so that he can get that fifteen bucks a day, mm-hmm. uh, murderer be damned. <laughs> uh, you know, I you, look. They really should put special features on 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 these. Uh, 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 you know, I love this because Paulie's, you know, Paulie's dad just died. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. It was kind of a bummer. We used to run yeah. into him all the time. All the time, I used to do that. I still, I still remember you. You, you interviewed Paulie at one point, and I think you said that it. That his bio said he was like thirty five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you said to him something like, "Like, dude, you were thirty five five years ago the last time I interviewed you." <laughs> you kidding me? I said, "There's a picture of you standing next to Elvis in '63. What the hell's going on? Yeah. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. uh, you look you look the same age." Dana Carvey used to be a movie star, made a few decent movies, and then he made a few bad movies. This yeah. is one of the not particularly good ones. Dana Carvey uh, in Opportunity Knox. Um, you, you know, Dana's career just went completely and totally uh, spinning out of control. Um, but, you know, he had a little moment coming off he Saturday did. Night Live. Had a yeah, moment. They, they, all have, they all have that moment. Dana was actually pretty good on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. A few interesting characters and all that kind of stuff. Opportunity knocks. He's just um, a con man on the run from some bad guys. Breaks into this fancy house. Robert Loja, the wonderful Robert Loja. Uh, uh, the, 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 the father of the guy who owns the house, mistakes him for the house sitter. So he starts pretending like a ho- he's a hoardy toity sort of Harvard grad and ends up running one of Robert Lowe. These movies, if I had known you could actually make money writing movies like that, you know, I'd have, I'd have written a dozen of them uh, and have a different life now. The bonus features include deleted scenes. I actually love this 1997 Alicia Silverstone movie, uh, Post Clueless and all of that. I was a big fan of Alicia Silverstone for quite a while, actually. She was pretty good to me. Uh, with a fairly young Benicio Del Toro in the movie. It's called Excess Baggage. Uh, so, so this movie, in this movie, both uh, Silverstone and, and Del Toro are incredibly funny. And they have this very bizarre chemistry that really worked well, despite the fact that even then he was probably 10 years older than her. So she's this uh, rich uh, you know, girl hanging around Beverly Hills doing her thing, uh, her father ignoring her all the time. So she stages her own kidnap, except that the car that she locked herself in the trunk of to stage the kidnapping actually gets stolen by Benicio Del Toro's character. So now she has been kidnapped. Of course, he doesn't want her. He just wants the car. So, so, uh-huh. so he's like, you, you just get out of the car. You're not kidnapped. Go home. She's like, no. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm doing a kidnapping, and you're my kidnapper, and I promise you, anybody who I told, who I says you kidnapped, they're going to believe me and not you, and this is what we're doing. And it's just all about how she uh, hijacks this whole entire situation in order to get back at Daddy. It's funny. I'm sorry. And I will remind folks right now that both Roger and Ebert gave this movie a thumbs up. Oh, oh, Ebert and Siskel. Yeah, Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, Siskel. Yeah, I said Roger Ebert. Siskel and Ebert both gave this movie a thumbs up. Wow. Sometimes our movie fall off our radar. You know, people probably haven't thought about this in years. Weird. Uh, Thumbs up. Yep. Okay, I'm gonna do the uh, some Twilight Time and Criterions, and we'll get back to TV. Finish off the TV, and uh, we'll see what else we have time for. Uh, Got a uh, wonderful quartet of Twilight Time titles this week. You can get uh, all of these by going to twilighttimemovies.com or screenarchives.com. The first one is Moratori, which is about a uh, uh, basically almost takes place entirely on a freighter, a German freighter, 
uh, that's uh, supposed to deliver rubber. It's on its way from Japan, from Yokohama, uh, to uh, to Bordeaux in France, and uh, Marlon Brando plays a German deserter that the Allies have recruited. Yul Brenner is the captain of the ship, and uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit Hunt for Red October-y. Um, it's, uh, you know, forget about the rubber. The rubber is a MacGuffin. It's a good suspense thriller. It's a good war thriller. It's a little claustrophobic, but you're really watching it for Yul Brenner and Marlon Brando. That's why you're watching it. It's like a lot of the, uh, a lot of these war movies from the mid 1960s. Um, you're, you know, a generation after World War II. So there's a little bit of romantic perspective and almost all these movies from The Great Escape to Dirty Dozen, they all kind of wallow in, in a certain sensibility, and this one's right there as well. Uh, it's also nice to have at least one actress in here, Janet Margolin, who I adore. So uh, she turns up in kind of a token role, but she's still great to have on board. Uh, Warlock is kind of a classic Western. Uh, I didn't used to appreciate this as much as I do now. Richard Widmark and Henry Fonda uh, just hold this thing down like a couple of brilliant old pros. It is beautifully shot. Has a great supporting cast. I mean, Anthony Quinn, for crying out loud, yeah. is one of your supporting actors. Uh, this is from 1959, early part of the uh, the widescreen era. It's just getting underway. Uh, directed by the great Eddie Dimitrick, who was a teacher at USC of many, many friends of ours. Um, rather infamous for having testified before the, uh, the House on American Activities Committee, but mm-hmm. still author of many brilliant westerns and noirs and really a great director of the era. Um, uh, so, you know, Henry Fonda once again plays in, in one of his rare turns as a bad guy, plays a, uh, a gunslinger who's, um, supposed to, well, he's, he's a bad guy, but he's a good guy too, right? So he's a, he's a dirty gunslinger who's been hired to do kind of a seven samurai type thing, which is clean up the town. And, uh, Richard Widmark plays the sheriff. So he's normally a bad guy here. He plays a straight up good guy. So, there's some um, there's some interesting kind of uh, casting against type in both cases, and uh, Anthony Quinn, Dorothy Malone, uh, a lot of yeah, just a lot of great supporting people here. It's really really good. It's a fun movie. It's really sharp. Um, Baby, the rain must fall. Uh, this is a and remember all of these are limited edition releases on Blu-ray. Uh, only a few thousand titles put out, so you got to go to uh, twilighttimemovies.com or screenarchives.com and uh, and grab these while they exist. Uh, Baby, the Rain Must Fall is a is a really really wonderful drama by Robert Mulligan, produced by Alan Pakula, based on the um, Horton Foot play. Horton Foot also did the uh, the screenplay here, um, which cast Steve McQueen and Lee Remick. Uh, in this in this very 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 difficult story about a uh, prison parolee and his estranged wife, and they both just I mean Steve McQueen. If you ever wonder if Steve Mc, if you ever think Steve McQueen, oh, he's kind of square jawed, not a very good actor, just kind of mm. like no man. Steve McQueen could act, mm. he could act, and he just does such a great job here. He does a beautiful beautiful job, um, and this is kind of a follow up film in many respects from two years earlier. So in 1962. As many people might remember, Horton Foote uh, and Robert Mulligan and Alan Pakula all teamed up for To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. And here they're doing it again, except the source material here is not a, it's an actual Horton Foote uh, play. And um, it's just really, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful film. has a great score by Elmer Bernstein, beautiful cinematography by um, the brilliant Ernest Laszlo. It's a, it's a real gem, and it's really, really worth checking out. The last of the Twilight Time titles is Bandolero. 
this is one I'm a little bit slightly less enthused by. This has kind of a cult following. A lot of people really, really love this just because it's got a weird cast. Like, where else are you going to see Jimmy Stewart, Dean Martin, and Raquel Welch? Yeah. Who would ever say, there's a there's a cast? I don't even like the way that looks in my mind. <laughs> well, I no mean, look, look, they nah. don't even fit together nah. on, the, on the big. No, yeah. it's no good, yeah. It's uh, it's a little bit of a oh, they're, they're They're much older than her yeah. by the time they're making this movie. And so, so yeah, now, guys. No, so this is from 1968. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, George Kennedy's in this, too. And he's the only one that seems to know that it's not very, <laughs> that, that, you know, and, and he's, he's the only one that's not taking it seriously. You, you can tell. And almost every scene, Dean Martin thinks, I'm going to win an Oscar for this. And you look at George Kennedy's face, and you can tell that George Kennedy's thinking, just take the paycheck, bro. Just <laughs> yeah. take the paycheck, man. Don't 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 read too much into this. I've made a lot of these, uh, but still, it's it's uh, you know it it wants to be Raquel Welch. They have to rescue her, right? Mm. It's like they go and they have to bring her across the border, and it's a whole thing. But uh, forget about that. It doesn't really matter. It thinks on some level that it's a peck and paw film, but it's not. No. Uh, but it is anyway. Bandolero. Uh, and then from Criterion, let me just go through these four Criterions real fast. Actually, go ahead, hit some TV. Knock off the rest of this yeah, TV do, real do quick. The TV. Or a little bit, and then you can yeah. do the the the, the other. Oh, yeah, I'll hit uh, this. Magnum PI season one. I got to tell you, when they started doing this thing where they would take the great, wonderful television series of my uh, youth, yeah. not really because I was an adult when all these shows were on, but nevertheless, Hawaii Five O, for instance, Hawaii. 5 and the first thing I said was, "What the hell are they doing this? None of this not going to work. Know. Not going to work. Nobody, no, I'm so wrong. Hawaii Five O. 2010 is when that series premiered, and it's still hanging around out there. This is season one of Magnum P.I. I was all grumpy old man about this, too. <laughs> uh, the season went, went, went pretty well. It's basically the same uh, storyline. Uh, they got, got themselves a sort of a Latin-y Magnum who doesn't really can't really grow that mustache right yet. Uh, and then they got themselves a female Higgins. Uh, yeah. the, the rest of it is, is more or less the same. You know, it's, it's, you know, the stories, they, they more or less stand alone. You know what it is? I still don't watch it, but apparently people uh, do. <laughs> so there you go. He got the same car, though. I'll give him that. Yeah. Uh, all 26 episodes of Public Defender, an absolutely fascinating series from the Philip Morris Playhouse uh, that premiered in 1954. Uh, public, public defenders, the notion of a thing called a public defender yeah. was new in 1964. Yeah. Uh, the idea that people who could not afford uh, an attorney could have for them appointed an attorney at the cost of the public. That was a brand new I idea then. Uh, thus, it made good fodder for a wonderful television series. Um, that was really just about the everyday stories based on, this one is based on real life events of the kind of things that public defenders had to deal with. Everything from just, you know, general juvenile delinquency to uh, vehicular homicide to, 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 to actual accusations of, of murder. This new crop of lawyers going into this thing called public defense in 1954. Fascinating. Actually, wow. uh, all kinds of wonderful uh, guest stars from the period, including Hugh Beaumont, who of course played the father on yeah. uh, Leave sure. Beaver. You can sure. see you can see him there. You can see uh, uh, Glenn Lanigan. You can see John Quaylen. You can see Mary Beth Hughes. You can see Harry Carey Jr. And uh, this very early television series from 1954. Super cool. 26 episodes. That's back when I a know. television series was 26 episodes. And now no, it no hovers computers. between like, 8 and 12, maybe 13. Yeah. yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, just, I just ordered the second season of that, so that's going to be in a few months. They got the second yeah, season. So, yeah, it's got two yeah. seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Patrick Melrose in this fairly remarkable series uh, adapted, from a, adapted from a series of books. 
um, it, he's, he's basically the series covers this young man uh, from the time that he's born, and that from the time from from the time that he's a child actually, yeah. uh, in his rather difficult upbringing uh, through his time in New York, where he becomes pretty much addicted to just about everything a person can be addicted to. To us, through going back to 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 Britain, it's a really really fabulous series. It's so dramatic, so wonderfully acted. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of uh, wonderful sort of all kinds of just wonderful performances that you draw from Blythe Danner in the series, Hugo Weaving in the series, just really really good stuff. Uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch not playing Sherlock in any way whatsoever, uh, or Doctor Strange either for that matter, but not certainly not playing Sherlock, which I have accused him of doing sometimes when he was in movies or television shows that were not uh, a Sherlock show. Mm-hmm. He'd bring that Sherlock thing. Yeah. Doesn't do that here at all. Uh, this was nominated for five Academy Awards. It really is quite good. Uh, not much by way of behind the, uh, of, of special features. There is a behind-the-scenes featurette and a 36-page booklet, which ones might which one might check into. Orange is the new blacks, uh, blacks <laughs> black to the max. Orange is the new black. Uh, season six. You know how many episodes of Orange is the new black is the new black I've seen? No. None. <laughs> not, not a single one. Not a single one. And I don't really know why. I mean, you know, I'm the, the deeply aware of the series. I've seen all of the actors on the series in different programs and, and episodes of things outside of the Orange is the New Black series. But of this series, not a single episode I have seen. Nevertheless, special features uh, include a featurette and a gag reel and an audio commentary with the cast and crew. Orange is the New Black, season six. Sweet. All right, wrapping out uh, the TV, and then I'll do a couple of criterions. Um, we uh, did a giveaway last week for what we're going to review now, but the giveaway was to you know so that we'd be in time for um, uh, for uh, Father's Day. Uh, Paramount's release on Blu-ray of the twenty-second season of South Park. Let me repeat: twenty-two. Mm seasons of South Park. That means South Park has been drinking for a whole year now. Everybody keeps focusing on The Simpsons. Now, The Simpsons is ready to be the longest-running primetime television show in history. It's about to pop uh, pop past... Uh, it's I think it's equaled Law & Order, and now it's about to pop past uh, 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 Gunsmoke. Mm. So uh, what everyone forgets is that South Park is hot on its heels. Mm. South Park has been going for 22 years. Matt and Trey are still able to make fun of stuff with bad animation every week yeah. after 22 years. Yeah. And you know what? The show just keeps ticking along. Uh, I think there are more hours. Uh, it's just ridiculous. These kids would have been all grown up now. I'd love to see Cartman as like a 40-year-old, but uh, <laughs> that's never going to happen. So they uh, they keep it going. Cartman and Kyle and Kenny, and uh, and somehow that whole shtick just keeps going, and the commentaries are funny. And they, they're just there's no end to current events that they get to make fun of, uh, and they stick it to all of them. And their the irreverence is just so refreshing, and uh, and the animation is they've got it down to a fine art. They really do. They just somehow keep making it work. So twenty two seasons in, that continues to be a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have the very bizarre thirty nine episode Jackie Chan Adventures series animated. Um, this was never very good, but I know people who really, really like it. I remember when Jackie was very excited to, to sort of throw his weight behind this, but it really, um, 
I don't know. It's it's not. They they they, they think that it's an anime style show, but it really isn't. Mm. And uh, he goes. No, right. it's like a Saturday morning American it's cartoon. A, it, it is a yeah. total Saturday morning American cartoon. You know, he's looking for these talismans with his little niece, who's only there to appeal to the kids. And uh, then there's these you know secret police, and it winds up basically be just being an excuse to do a lot of animated fighting, which doesn't really ever uh, enthrall. I mean, Jackie's great in live action. I don't know why you need an animated Jackie, but. Anyway, and then we've got a couple of, couple of Scooby-Doo titles, the best of the new Scooby-Doo, uh, the lost episode, the movies, the lost episodes, and the new Scooby-Doo movies, the almost complete collection. The, uh, the best of is on DVD. The uh, almost complete collection is on Blu-ray. And uh, we talked last week about uh, Scooby-Doo uh, teaming up with Laurel and Hardy and Three Stooges and Batman and Robin. Yep, there we go. Don Knotts. There they are. Don there they Knotts. are. There you go. There's Don Knotts. There's I, your I remember Don that Knotts. episode specifically. It's utterly bizarre. Don, look, look, there's Batman and Robin. Because he's not only playing Don Knotts, he's playing, he's playing uh, uh, Barn. Yeah, he's playing Barney. He's playing Barney is who he's playing. Yeah. You know, he's not just being Don Knotts. Yeah. nonsense. And, I mean, you know, Phyllis Diller and <laughs> Sonny and Cher. It's completely bizarre. So, anyway... Uh, Speed Buggy even shows up. It's just none of this makes any Speed sense. Speed Buggy, oh my god! I know, right? <laughs> That's all I remember about Speed Buggy. Um, so anyway, the, this is just beyond silly. The Harlem Globetrotters. I'd forgotten about that. Remember the Harlem Globetrotters? Oh yeah, the cartoon. The, yeah, the cartoon. Good grief. Uh, so anyway, and then uh, then on you know you get like Scooby Doo meets Genie on the the Lost. I forget it. It's it's so silly. So silly. Oh. All right, here are our criterions this week. We're really going to want to clean off the shelf. Got got some fantastic ones, all on Blu-ray. Uh, director approved Claire Denis edition of Let the Sun Shine In with Juliette Binoche. Claire Denis is an amazing director. This is a wonderful, wonderful teaming of talents. Uh, so Juliette Binoche basically plays a woman who is um, she she has her, her love life is a disaster, and uh, she. Um, this is a, a basically just an odyssey following this one woman uh, in, in this in her in her quest to find love and how it leads her into all of these disastrous relationships. It's purely a character study. It is, but it's a super film. It's just beautifully acted, beautifully directed. Uh, Claire Denis can can do absolutely no wrong by me. Indeed. Um, uh, on the other end of the spectrum. From another era is Swing Time, the George Stevens uh, landmark musical with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. This changed everything, in case people don't know. This was 1936, which was the era that was sort of the, the peak of the Busby Berkeley moment when you had a certain kind of musical. Um, it wasn't, it was, it was cinematic and it was mm. op these enormous musical numbers and it wasn't focused so much on actual stars who could sing and dance. That era of musical that becomes the, the trademark musical of Gene Kelly and Fred mm. Astaire and all of that, that doesn't happen until Swing Time. Mm. Swing Time changed everything. George Stevens, 1936. It is a wonderful Blu-ray. Uh, has a new interview with George Stevens Jr. talking all about his dad. Audio commentary from 1986 uh, featuring John Mueller, who wrote the, uh, the book Astaire Dancing. Uh, and a, a great new program that's all called In Full Swing, which is all about the, the dancing in the film, the jazz. Uh, it's just a, this is, I mean, look, if you don't buy this, you're out of your mind. Um, then we have One Sings, The Other Doesn't. Um, right after she passed, they were able to release this, a, a director-approved Agnes Varda edition. I'm just sorry she's not with us anymore. Mm. This was a, a wonderful Agnes Varda movie from 1977. 
And uh, it takes place in 1960, about 61, 62. And it's uh, essentially about these two um, com- op- opposite sides of society young women who uh, come together and um, form a friendship and then wind up being separated through a circumstance that I will not get into. And then they rediscover each other uh, many, many years later. And uh, it, it, it sort of follows them through this very tumultuous period in the 60s that defined uh, modern feminism both in France and the United States and how it sort of crystallizes in the lives and in the friendship of these, these two women. One Sings, the Other Doesn't is the title. And uh, it's just absolutely delightful. Uh, tons of extras on here, including a 1977 documentary um, called Women Are Naturally Creative, Agnes Varda. And uh, it, if you love Agnes Varda, this is w- one you probably have not heard of and you want to definitely rediscover it. And then lastly on the Criterion front is David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Oh, uh, wow. Now, a, a, a warning, Lynch does not like chapters on his movies, and there are none here. Uh, you get no chapters. Nope. It's just it's, you, you watch the movie straight through because that's how Lynch wants it. But you know what? Come on. It's Blue Velvet. Uh, Dennis Hopper and... and uh, in one of my favorite performances, just completely out of his mind. Um, it, it, what my favorite exchange in this movie is when is between it's just such a stupid exchange, but it's so perfectly Lynchian. Is when Dennis Hopper and um, uh, Kyle MacLachlan are uh, uh, they're talking and it's very tense. And uh, Hopper says, "Why don't we go?" And uh, and Kyle says, uh, "Go where?" He goes, "For a ride." No, no. How does it go? It, it, it goes. Let Let's go. Um, Go where? Uh, I don't. I don't want no. I, I, for a ride. I don't want to go. Go where? For a ride. <laughs> there you go. A ride. There's an idea. And it's this bizarre little like head game for a moment that just and the way that they play it and the dialogue is just so mundane and so inane and yet somehow Hopper just elevates it. It's it's mad. It's crazy. Uh, so uh, tons of extras on here. A uh, a, a feature length meditation by Peter Bratz, which was shot on set during production. There's no other way to describe this. It's really interesting. Uh, And then there's a documentary from 2002 that's also feature-length called Mysteries of Love, which is all about the making of the film. Uh, An Angela Badalamenti interview, a 2019 documentary with interviews and and where they go back to the shooting locations. Uh, It's just just absolutely fantastic. Um, There's like four hours, I think four or five hours of extras on here. It's just superb. Blue Velvet on Blu-ray doesn't get any better in the world of David Lynch. Mm. A few of these? Yeah, let's hit some of those. Uh, uh, double double feature here on Blu-ray from, what is this, Mill Creek, I believe? Yeah, from uh, Mill yes, Creek. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, trigger Effect and Body Count. Uh, trigger, trigger Effect from 1996, Body Account from 1998, both fairly wicked movies that come out of the, the sort of post-noir, noir period. Uh, probably launched by Quentin Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs as the whole run of these movies after Quentin did, did, did that back in 91, 92. Um, Trigger Effect, I rather enjoyed. Cal McLaughlin, Elizabeth Shue, Dermot Mulroney, and my buddy Richard T. Jones. In, in this very interesting movie all about uh, how predatory p- people become when the lights go out. So the lights go out and stay out for several days. And we watch what happens as these people's lives sort of 
across one another, particularly particularly uh, when some of the things that they have mm. going on are, are a little bit shady. It's it's, it's really a beautifully well, well-written movie that I really thoroughly enjoyed. Love about this movie. The movie's only 95 minutes long. I remember that very specifically. Uh, now, body count, right? <laughs> but I remember that yeah. very specific Body count, 1998. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, some thieves try to rob... Uh, 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 this art gallery, everything goes back, goes bad. They have to take, go on the run down south, right? Uh, where they run into that sort of southern law thing. Oh, this, yeah. this is a decent movie, not a great movie, not a fantastic movie, but a good movie. You know what I like about it? Huh? 85 minutes long. <laughs> what the hell happened? When did they stop making movies? 85 minutes 85 long. minutes, 90, 90 minutes long. Yeah. When did it be, that, that was a theatrically released movie at 85 minutes I long. I believe in it, and I'm doing it right now. Uh, Mo Money. <laughs> from 1992, Damon, uh, Damon Wayans, uh, who wrote who wrote the movie uh, way back in the day, opposite uh, uh, Stacy Dash, of course, in the movie. It's just about these it's all low level con artist guys uh, bumming around doing stuff. Then he gets a job at a credit card company, steals a credit card so he can go out and buy a bunch of stuff and impress Stacy Dash and gets himself in trouble. And it's it's just so funny. Uh, I can't believe we wore hats like the one Damon <laughs> Wayans is wearing on the cover of this box here. Uh, the second part of this night. Comedy double feature John Lovitz in High School High, mm-hmm. <laughs> which again was just funny, and it's only eighty-six minutes long. Um, uh, John Lovitz in this movie is playing this high school teacher. He, he has this you know classroom uh, full of juvenile delinquents, but if he wants to get with his uh, co-teacher Tia Carrera, he's going to have to get those kids up to par, and he figures out a way to do it. It's a funny, funny movie. Uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, Mo Money, by the way, 89 minutes, 89 minutes, 86 minutes, 85 <laughs> minutes. I'm, I'm detecting the theme about the 90s. Yeah. Uh, I think the 90s, we had less tolerance mm. for hanging around. And, uh, anyway, this double feature features Julia Robinson, Susan Sarandon, and Ed Harris and Stepmom. And at the bottom half of the bill, Michelle Pfeiffer in the deep end of the ocean did the junkets for both of these movies. I got a, uh, I have a black and white Photograph. Remember, they gave us actual publicity packages, oh, yeah. you know, the oh, other yeah. stuff, you know, photos and everything in it with slides. It was, it was so cool. And I got Michelle Pfeiffer to sign a black and white photo of Michelle Pfeiffer for me. It's around here someplace. Um, uh, so, uh, Stepmom, uh, 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 Susan Sarandon's divorced from Ed Harris. She finds out she's dying. Ed has a girlfriend, a uh, photographer played by the still very young and lovely Julia Roberts. Uh, and uh, basically, Susan Sarandon is going to find out whether or not this chick is going to be a good enough person to be, uh, you know, the mom, the stepmom to her mm-hmm. kids. And rather than doing this sort of ordinary thing that the ex does uh, with the, the new wife, uh, she gets to know her and they become friends. Deep in the Ocean, that was the mediocre movie directed by Uli Grossbarg um, that, uh, you know, you treat Williams, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Whoopi Goldberg in this movie, I recall. Um, it, it was it was a, it was adapted from sort of a, a, a pulp novel from back in the day. Uh, a family is sort of like thrown for a loop when their son, played by Ryan Merriman, uh, in in the film, uh, who had been kidnapped nine years earlier, shows up. They move to this small town, and it turns out that a kid who lives up the street is the son who was kidnapped. It was all about how it throws the family for a loop. Interesting story. Made a better book than did a movie. And uh, out of that series now, we just have a Blu-ray DVD for Al Pacino and Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp's last decent movie, Donnie Brasco. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I really do believe this is Donnie, uh, Johnny Depp's last decent movie. I didn't like that one he did yeah. about, about what's his name. The, the, oh, yeah, the yeah, Jason. yeah. No, no, no. No, I didn't either. With the rubber nose. No. Yeah. Uh, and and this, is a, this, is a, this is a neat uh, deep cover uh, movie about a cop that goes deep cover into the mob, makes friends uh, with a mob guy. 
uh, uh, played by uh, uh, Al Pacino. They become uh, deep, deep buddies, and uh, the entire time he's undercover. And this is all about what 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 goes what, what's going to happen when it all sort of comes out and goes wrong. And heck, in this film, as I recall, directed by Mike Newell, intense, tight little film. And as I say, the last time Johnny Depp did any serious acting. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap out from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, starting with three silent classics here. Uh, one is a Cohen Film Collection release. Uh, this is the Buster Keaton Collection Volume 1, new 4K restorations of the General and Steamboat Bill Jr. Wow. Now, these have previously been out on Blu-ray from Kino, different uh, transfers. Uh, but this is Cohen. Cohen, of course, uh, got the Rohauer Collection some years ago, which it, where they inherited all of these silent classics in different, um, in, with different elements. So they're the same films, but you know they're they're done differently. And honestly, I gotta be honest, I think you should have both. I think you should have the Blu-ray, the Kino Blu-ray, and you should have the Cohen Blu-ray because they all have uh, there are aspects that are that are great in each of them, and there are extras that are great in each of them. And here you get original scores uh, by Carl Davis, which are just wonderful. The general, of course, is just I mean beyond compare. It's absolutely fantastic. This includes um, uh, reflections on the general and Buster Keaton, the luminary featurettes. And um, it, it, they're just, uh, both of these are incomparable. You gotta, you gotta get this. So that's on Blu-ray from Kino. And then we also have from Flickr Alley, uh, a couple of fantastic Blu-ray cl uh, silent classics. Uh, the first is The Last Warning from 1929. This is the last film directed by the great silent director Paul Laney. Mm. Uh, this is 78 minutes long. Ah, see? Yeah. Uh, but it's absolutely wonderful. And this is, this is like meta within meta within meta. It's based on a Broadway play about a murder that takes place during a Broadway play, mm. which uh, they never find the body. And then years later, after the theater is abandoned, a guy comes back to restage the play with the original cast, that play within a play, about the along play with a play, play. <laughs> was turned into a play, has been made into a silent movie in 1929. You'll love and it. And it's really, really cool. Uh, it, it's just absolutely beautiful. came from the Universal Library. They restored it completely. Uh, sensational camera work and photography. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. It's, an, it's a legendary silent classic. Really great to have this in such great condition again. And then also we get The Man Who Laughs from 1928 which is famous because the artwork of this, and this is based on a Victor Hugo novel uh, about a guy who was orphaned and then is punished by the king because his dad was a bad dude by having this horrible grin carved into his face. Mm. And the, the depiction of that in this Paul Laney-directed film, uh, and this is the one that Paul Laney is most famous for, the, it's that image there that they have on the cover yeah. that inspired the Joker. The Joker, yeah. And and the Joker's an, I mean straight up inspiration. You look at that, and you're like, why do they keep casting like all these other actors as the Joker? That's the guy. Go find that guy. <laughs> find that guy. That's the concept. He's, that's the guy. That's because he inspired it. So that's the concept. That's the way to go. And uh, anyway, the, the the story itself is very very tragic. It's not like a comic book thing or anything, but it's it's vintage Victor Hugo. Uh, there's a reason they haven't done it again too, because it just sort of lends itself to this very very expressionistic German style. Uh, so it's absolutely despotic wonderful. kings in 1690 could just oh, be brutal, horrible. So uh, anyway, it's really, really terrific. The man who laughs, 1928, and then to the ridiculous, we are going to go out, ladies and gentlemen, with "Can't Stop the Music," 1980s Nancy yeah. Walker flop. Yeah, just a <laughs> okay, yeah. there's a class of films from this era that I adore. 
and it begins with car wash, mm-hmm. and it includes Xanadu. And thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. And uh, includes Can't Stop the Music. Mm-hmm. And there are like two or three others. I want to say Sergeant Pepper. Might, Sar- might count the Wiz in there? The Wiz, Sergeant Pepper's mm-hmm. uh, one Lonely of the Hearts Club band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of these kind of belong to this this moment of, of really, really bad disco era music. Xanadu? Xanadu for sure. Gotta be, I right? love Xanadu. So, uh, but can't stop. They're the terrible, music. but I, I love them all. I do too. Can't stop the music was directed by Nancy Walker. The only thing she ever directed. Nancy yeah. Walker basically was, uh, you know, a character actress who did a lot of soap commercials. Who even stuff. then was probably ninety. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, but in, in any case, uh, it's a really, really, really silly movie. Primarily distinguished because it's got the uh, it, it, it's it's got the village people in it. Uh, and it also has Bruce Jenner in it, which is kind of weird. Now. Yeah, now that's just that's, <laughs> I mean just, that is just so. It takes this movie to a whole new level. <laughs> like you, whoa. you watch this then, and you go, "Oh, I think I see some things going on in this movie that I should have seen at the time." Uh, Steve Gutenberg is in this thing of all people. Alan Carr produced this, so if you're ever wondering why Alan Carr completely tanked <laughs> the Oscars by having Rob Lowe dance with Snow White, yeah, if you've yeah. seen this movie, yeah. you understand. Yeah, his Makes sensibility sense. there. Yeah. That's it. So anyway. Uh, pretty terrific movie. I enjoy it. It includes a, an audio commentary with Alan Carr and uh, director, producer Jeffrey Schwartz and Bruce Valanche. Yeah. <laughs> the very campy Bruce Valanche. Uh, and in a trailer and another interview. Check it out. Can't stop the music. It's terrible, but it's a load of fun. Steve with that, we will, we will see you guys <laughs> next week. <laughs> Thank you.